0: Welcome to the Sober Mofos podcast where we discuss how to get sober, how to stay sober, and how to live a healthy, happy life in sobriety. My name is Dirk Foster and I'm a sobriety coach and author and I've been sober since 2007. This is podcast number four. So today I want to talk about um, a few themes, a few issues that are very um, relevant to addiction and recovery and especially early sobriety and that is regret resentment, and forgiveness. So that, that's what I want to talk about today. Um, for, before I start, if you get a chance, please visit my website, which is SoberMofos.com, or my YouTube channel, which is Sober Mofos, and you'll find all sorts of uh, interesting information and books and audiobooks and articles and videos and all sorts of stuff there. So check it out. So Let's get into a conversation about regret, resentment, and forgiveness, all right? When I first got sober, I found it incredibly difficult to let go of the past. I spent most of my waking hours thinking about what was and what could have been. Why did things turn out the way they did? Why did I make certain decisions? Why did I let this person into my life or that person into my life? Why did I hurt someone I loved? Why did they hurt me? You know, why did I spend so much time in self-destructive pursuits? Why didn't I pay more attention to the red flags when they first started appearing? You get the point. The list of regrets was endless and haunted me day and night. A big part of recovery for me was the sorrow I felt because of the poor decisions I had made and the lifestyle I had pursued. You know, it, it made me sad and angry to think about what could have been and the, pet, the potential I had sacrificed in aimless pursuits. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way, right? My life was supposed to be epic and triumphant, not small and broken. By this stage in my life, meaning when I first got sober, I was supposed to have all the cash and prizes. I was supposed to be one of the winners. I was supposed to have a fat bank account. I was supposed to have a big house. I was supposed to have a wife and children. I was supposed to have fame, fortune, adulation, blah, blah, blah. Instead, what I had was sickness and debt and regret. Looking back, I was shocked by the number of bad decisions I had made during my life. Red flags aside, I had made some, some most of my choices over the years based entirely on immediate gratification. I wanted to feel good and I wanted to feel good now. I always seemed to be seeking instant happiness and euphoria in every aspect of my life, including my work, family, romance, finance, everything. The most consistent and recurring element of my time on earth was the drinking I did in in a vain attempt to find serenity and joy, right? Why try to accomplish anything substantial in life when I can just drink a bunch of beer or a bunch of wine or a bunch of alcohol and just feel like I run the world, right? The wreckage of my past Was definitely not a pretty sight to behold. But when I first got something, when I first got sober, it was something I had to face in order to move forward. I had to face it if I wanted to move forward in my life. I had to look back and fully embrace all the mistakes and bad decisions I had made in my life and be willing to forgive myself and others who had hurt me. Otherwise, and this, this is so true. Otherwise, I was doomed to repeat the past and, and keep swallowing the poison of regret that polluted my mind and my soul. So as I continued to review my past, this is when I first got sober, my past mistakes and flawed decisions. It occurred to me that I had also made some horrible choices, choices when it came to people I associated with over the years. You know, I, I didn't have a very good track record of p- picking, you know, the best people to be hanging around. I gravitated towards people who were who were like me, alcoholics and addicts. So I, I have a couple dogs, right? So whenever I take my dogs for a walk, the second they spot another dog, even if it's a block away, they freeze in their tracks and stare, right? The other dog usually does the exact same thing then the inevitable tug of war takes place as, as all the dogs strain against their leashes to greet one another and start smelling each other's asses, right? And this is kind of how alcoholics and addicts seem to find each other too. We can enter a room, a party, an office, and be drawn to one, other, one another like dogs. There's this unconscious pull that brings us together. And once we meet and establish a friendship or a relationship, we provide cover for one another in our behavior and our habits. So these friendships always start—you know—they're always fun and exciting when they first start. We found someone who likes to drink as much as we do. Woohoo! Right? As long as we, you know, stick together, our lifestyle, our lifestyle, and our hangovers start to seem normal. This is how everyone behaves, right? Everybody gets drunk all the time and does drug all the dr- drugs all the time, right? As I looked backwards, it dawned on me that my life was populated by people who were as, as equally fucked up as me. Most of them were, were kind and funny and smart. A few of them were even brilliant. Some were ambitious. Some were financially successful. Many owned businesses and were raising families. There were writers, actors, and even a few doctors that I knew who were also addicts like me I've even snorted cocaine with an anesthesiologist and a police officer. These people were black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they were men, they were women, they were gay, they were straight, and everything in between. One thing that is certain about addiction it doesn't discriminate across race, gender, class, or social status. It's an equal opportunity disease that welcomes everyone into its home, everyone is invited. My first instinct was to blame. Now, this I'm talking about when I got sober. My first instinct was to blame the people who had come in and out of my life. I wanted to point the finger at everybody else and say it was your fault. You did this to me. I was angry and sad about some of the friendships I had developed over the years. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Who are these people and how the hell did I end up with them? It took me a long time to fully realize that the people I had surrounded myself with were often just as sick as i was many of them were alcoholics and addicts who were searching for comfort and meaning in the world like me somehow we found each other and took the journey together into the into the realms of self-destruction and addiction sadly and inevitably a number of those people never made it out many died along the way even today, you know, 15 years into my, sobri- in my sobriety, I occasionally get a call or email informing me of an old friend who succumbed to their addictions and died, you know, sad, lonely and broken. One of my closest friends, in fact, Eric, um, from my drinking days, just died recently from an overdose. He tried to get sober for years, but just he just couldn't make it work for whatever reason. Eric was a good man, brilliant and kind, but his addictions were were more powerful than he realized, and they took him out before he could escape his demons. So one of the great things about 12-step programs, um, the 12-step program I joined to get sober sober, is that I began to meet people who were trying to improve their lives by getting clean and healthy. Um, I was now surrounded in in my program uh, by survivors who were After the same thing I was, a life free from addiction and filled with possibility and hope. We were still like dogs sniffing each other out, but now our common bond was a desire to stop drinking, not a compulsion to keep drinking, right? So I first started experiencing depression. I want to to talk about depression for a moment. I first started experiencing depression when I was around 14 years old, somewhere around there. And it would hit me in, in violent waves without warning. I never knew when it was coming, how long it would last, or how far down it would take me. I could never figure out what triggered the episodes, so I had no way of avoiding them. That's the kind of ironic and, and frustrating thing about depression. You never know when it's going to hit you. My mood would shift with, with startling speed into a dark hole of sadness. And I would become overwhelmed by, by this thick, heavy feeling of hopelessness, the sense that there was no meaning to life or that I had any purpose on earth. I was this useless piece of shit. That's how I felt. And death felt like the only escape. Perhaps I could have received the help I needed through professional counseling, but I never bothered to tell my parents or anyone else. So it remained untreated for many years. However, I discovered that that Dr. Budweiser was a very competent therapist who provided me with an instant fix to my problems. A six pack therapy session could would could cost you know around five dollars in those days, six dollars. And that's not a bad deal and, and and an easy and it's an easy way to kick the blues, right? Just get yourself some beer and suddenly the depression is, is has vanished, at least temporarily. Teenage angst is is certainly not uncommon. It's no surprise that kids have been turning to alcohol and drugs for decades to make it through their high school years when their home their hormones and emotions are waging war on their on their young brains and their bodies. The waves of depression I experienced were crushing. The only way I could get through those periods was was by self-medicating with a steady stream of drinking and using I've often said to other alcoholics that I don't think I could have survived growing up had I not been able to drink through the depression. Ironically, booze saved me before it almost killed me. But the collapse was inevitable. I had been regulating my feelings with booze for so long that my ability to control my emotions was almost non existence once I got sober. It was just like being a teenager all over again, only an older, fatter version of a teenager <laughs> than I once was. And the waves would crash down on me with horrendous force, leaving me dazed and sometimes just unable to get out of bed. And I often wanted to return to the bottle for relief when I first got sober. I'd be at home doing nothing but lying in bed, watching TV for days on end, never leaving my apartment. And I wanted to drink, but I didn't want to drink, right? I wanted to drink, but I didn't want to drink. I knew I needed to get to a meeting, a 12-step meeting. But at that stage, I still hated going to meetings. And that would change eventually. I'm talking about the early days and weeks and even months of my sobriety. I hated going to 12-step meetings, which is not uncommon. And I knew I should call my sponsor for advice or a sober friend. But I hated the idea of asking another person, especially another guy, for help all the time. I should leave my apartment I would tell myself, go outside for fresh air. But the idea of hearing birds and feeling sunlight just repulsed me. Eventually, the depression would lift, of course. But sometimes it would last only a few hours, sometimes a few days. Once I was able to crawl out of bed, I knew what I had to do. I had to do one of two things. Either call a sober friend or go to a meeting. One of the most challenging and dangerous stages of early sobriety is the inevitable crash that comes. And it almost always does. It seems to happen to most people I've met in Recover. We all go through a period of intense sadness and sorrow as we begin to rebuild and repair our lives. For the first time, perhaps ever, we're learning how to absorb and process emotions, anger, depression, without the aid and comfort that Booze used to bring to us. We're learning how to deal with life on life's terms. Life on life's terms. It's a hazardous period and many people don't make it through without going back to the bottle. Over the last 15 years of my sobriety, I've learned to cope with my depression in healthy and productive ways. It never went away entirely. I'll be honest. I still get depression from time to time and I've accepted the fact that I am always going to experience bouts of depression. That's just the way it is, but I handle these episodes, these episodes, I'm sorry, but how i handle these episodes has changed dramatically exercise meditation prayer going to a meeting are usually all i need to do to lift myself out of the dark hole i've learned to identify their arrival early the onset of when i say their arrival i mean the onset of depression early and can fix the problem before it overwhelms me but in those early days of my recovery the the, the waves were absolutely brutal I still have my old driver's license from my uh, last year of drinking. Something I want to share with you. It's kind of funny. Occasionally, I pull it out from my sock drawer to look at it as a reminder. So in the photograph, my usually narrow face is round and red with a thick double chin. My hair, which has always been close to blonde, is dark, greasy, and it looks like I cut it with a fork and a knife myself. I look pissed off in the photo. My lips are narrowed. Eyes are squinting. There is zero joy in my face, and I look kind of like, a, like like an angry tomato. Years of booze guzzling and coke snorting and cigarette inhaling had taken their toll, of course. I was in dangerously bad shape. My body was starting to give up on me at that point. My doctor had informed me that I had fatty liver, high blood pressure, and an elevated cholesterol level. My skin, hair, and teeth were showing signs of early decay. I was grossly overweight and could barely walk up a flight of stairs without stopping to gasp. Alcohol, as most of us know, is one of the worst things we can put into our system. It wreaks havoc. There's not a single thing in alcohol your body needs or wants. It's poison when consumed in large enough quantities over a long enough period of time. In the early days of my own sobriety, I could hardly sleep and would often break out in cold sweat as my body worked to squeeze out all the toxins that had pooled in every pore. I would sweat so much at night that I had to keep buying new pillowcases to replace the ones that were stained yellow. It was nasty. My skin was blotched and dry. My heart would race so fast it felt like it would explode. I suffered from anxiety and paranoia. My stomach was in constant agony I had horrible pain and discomfort in my belly morning, noon, and night. There were times that it was almost un- unbearable. I would curl up on my couch and moan from the pain. And, and, and my physical condition deepened the depression I was experiencing at the time. You know, and like I said, you know, I, I've always struggled with depression and it was certainly more prominent when I first got sober and I became despondent. Wondering if if I would ever feel halfway normal again. I've always been sort of vain, and it made me sad to think I had inflicted so much damage on my body. I felt and looked like shit. My body was trying to repair itself. and It was taking longer than I could have anticipated, of course. There were brief moments when I would would feel great, especially after after the first few weeks of not drinking. Waking up without hangovers was like a miracle, the morning shakes were starting to fade. The nausea that had become routine was no longer a constant present presence. It was still there, but it wasn't constant. But my body was made weak by long-term substance abuse, and I never seemed to be completely well. Eventually, eventually I learned that if I took a few walks every day, I would begin to feel better and I made a concerted effort to improve my diet. I had been living on booze, cheeseburgers, and Top Ramen for a long time, and the results were, were very noticeable. I started to increase my consumption of fruits and vegetables and make healthier choices in what I ate each day. Progress was slow, yet over time, my body began to heal and repair itself. Whenever I was feeling particularly low or unmotivated, all I had to do was pull out my driver's, driver's license to get a quick reminder of where I had been just a short time earlier. A sick, angry tomato. (laughs) That's what I was. Also, when I first got sober, I spent a lot of time thinking about the numerous mistakes of my life, which I I talked about earlier um, in this podcast. Where did it all go wrong? How did I fuck things up so badly? Reviewing the records of my past, I noticed a recurring issue that appeared throughout my life. Terrible relationships. In terms of dating and romance, my past looked like a graveyard. All of the relationships I had been in were started either at bars or parties fueled by cocktails. It was astonishing to realize that I couldn't identify a single one relationship, a single one that hadn't involved alcohol from the outset. And they were all doomed from the start. My romantic past was nothing but a long string of drinking friends with benefits, Notable, notable mostly for constant fighting and painful breakups. And each of these relationships started out fun and exciting, but quickly d- dissolved into insults, manipulation, cheating, screaming, lots and lots of screaming. All these years later, I swear my, my ears are still ringing from all the screaming <laughs> I used to do in relationships, all the screaming that was directed at me too. And I assumed I would never experience a calm, peaceful relationship built on mutual respect and trust. And I think most alcoholics and addicts seek out drama in relationships. And that's important for us to recognize that. We get high from the adrenaline created by chaos and pain. We crave lives filled with euphoria, followed by depression. Up and down, high and low, around and around we go. As long as we keep living in the, in the tornado, we never realize the destruction we're creating. And as I started working, you know, working on my own sobriety... I began to review a lifetime of broken relationships and it was a pathetic view to behold. Like many people, alcoholic or not, I had clung to the idea that if I could just find the right person, the one, then all my problems would be solved. I wouldn't have any more worries. My existence on earth would finally matter once I found the perfect mate or spouse. The love of another person would validate me and cure me. It had never dawned on me that to be in a healthy, loving relationship, I needed to be a healthy, caring person instead of a raging, self-centered alcoholic, right? It took a long time to realize that the search for the one who could save me was futile and pointless. Seeking validation from another person was no different than seeking comfort from a bottle of vodka. I was searching outside for something that needed to be fixed inside. And until I could find validation and happiness from within, I was doomed to keep repeating the same patterns in every part of my life. I was filled with resentment and sorrow for the past I had created. I wanted relief for the pain in my heart, the emptiness that seemed to follow me everywhere I went. And that brings me to the topic of resentment. There's a saying that I learned in early recovery, resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. Resentment is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. One of the most important things I came to realize in the early stages of my sobriety was that, that I had accumulated, accumulated an enormous amount of resentment towards the people in my life, past and present. Whether it was friends or girlfriends or employers, employers or family members or the local coffee shop barista, I had recorded and retained every insult, betrayal, and slight that had ever occurred over my lifetime. And I wanted to blame everyone I had ever encountered for everything that had gone wrong in my life. I'm not to blame, you are. I held on to resentment and self-pity like a shield, a way to, to, to deflect personal responsibility for my own actions. But the truth was, I had been swallowing as much resentment as booze over the years and both had been poisoning me. So I'm going to talk about something, step four in, in the 12-step in the program I'm in. And, 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 and I always say this, if you don't get sober in the 12-step program, that's perfectly fine. Get sober any way you can. I just happen to got, get sober in the 12-step program, so I talk about it sometimes. So step four in AA is known as the resentment step. Um, step four is our opportunity to identify the source of our pain and our anger and our fear and all the other negative emotions that rule our lives. So to put it in, in poetic terms, this is where the shit hits the fan, right? Where we start doing step four. And a lot of people are, are terrified of this step. <clears throat> Excuse me. It requires that we write down every single thing that has pissed us off or hurt our feelings. Ever. I don't mean just in the last few months. I mean Ever childhood school birthday parties dates jobs drug deals family vacations etc every moment of our life needs to be recorded and reviewed if it involved pain sadness anger or fear right was your pride hurt did it damage your self-esteem did it make you feel deprived despised or unloved find it and write it down so when my sponsor instructed me how to proceed it seemed like a monumental task how the hell was I supposed to remember everything and everybody that ever hurt me in my in any way? And I was reluctant to begin and thought it sounded like a like an epic joke. But once I started writing, it seemed effortless. I filled page after page of perceived wrongs that had been inflicted upon me. I had no idea that there was so much waiting to come out. I found myself writing down the names and pain caused by every schoolyard bully, teacher, girlfriend, employer, friend, family member, or stranger who had ever inflicted the slightest damage to my precious little ego. And I had no idea until it was all out on paper how much resentment I had stored up and saved over the decades. It was astonishing. And I worked on it for days. And when I finally felt I was that I had unearthed every detail, I had to read it to, to my sponsor. And it was an eye-opening experience. Most importantly, it initiated an opportunity for forgiveness. All right? We can turn resentment into forgiveness. If resentment is the poison, then forgiveness is the antidote. So facing pain and resentment is one of the most challenging things we can do, whether we're alcoholics or not. And I soon learned that if if I wanted relief from the poison of resentment, I would have to learn how to forgive others no matter what. Someone broke my heart, forgive. Someone fired me from a job, a job, forgive. Someone stole from me? Forgive. Someone tried to ruin my life? Forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. forgive. It's and it's it's not it's not a simple thing to ask a, a half-demented man child like me who was struggling daily not to drink. I began to review my resentments, looking for a way to forgive everyone on the list. What, what became apparent was my part in every situation. As I began the process of forgiving others, I began to realize that I had played a role in every single incident. It takes two to tango, right? Why was I there in the first place? How did my actions possibly hurt the other person? What could I have done differently? Could I have been more sensitive or loving? Was I, was I at fault some, at, at, you know, sometimes? You know, sometimes, you know, we're, we're at fault. We're not always in the right. That's for damn sure. Being right is overrated. It was this strange and liberating experience, learning how to forgive and see my part in each situation. Not easy, but illuminating. And so for the first time, I started seeing the world and my place in it much differently. This was a big step forward in, in personal responsibility. Never my favorite topic, that's for sure, but necessary if I wanted to heal and move forward, something within me was starting to change. Much of my anger and fear began to slowly dissolve as I continued to forgive everyone on my list. And for the first time, I was starting to feel slightly better, like I could breathe again. So I want to stop there. And um, next time we'll talk about um, other things in the next podcast. Um Again, if you get a chance, please visit my website, which is SoberMofos.com or my YouTube channel, Sober Sober Mofos. (laughs) I can't talk. Um, And until we speak next time, please stay safe.